Would you open your Bibles to the book of First Thessalonians, chapter 5? And if you don't mind, I would like to read this all the way from front to back. Uh, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and date, we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So parenthetically, you hear people say Jesus is coming back on September 23rd. You can know that ain't true. Uh, because he said we wouldn't know the day or the hour. So if that gets you scared, just like breathe. Verse three says, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. In verse four he says, but you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light, children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, that we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Rise up and build. Build ourselves and build each other. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. And make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. And verse 16, rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. And respect every, uh, reject every kind of evil. <laughs> May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all of God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. Challenge accepted, Paul. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Uh, Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom this morning. Um, that, that your word would, would illuminate our path and light our way. That we would uh, find ways to rise up and build ourselves up and build each other up, just as Paul commanded here. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. 
Does it seem like the world's out of control to anybody else? <laughs> right? Does it seem like when you turn on the news, like, I don't feel like they, they speak for me. I feel like I'm seeing hurricanes, I'm seeing wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes, but then I turn on the TV and I got these guys that think I'm an idiot, acting like I'm an idiot. And if you, if you wonder, by the way, whether or not that that's happening, if, if you're a follower of Jesus and you wonder what uh, many that are of the, the talking heads you see on TV think about you, uh, I was uh, told a story recently of a, of a guy that lives here in town. Uh, he said that he was on uh, the Good Morning America. Do you know about the Good Morning America? Robin Roberts and George Stephanopoulos. And they seem like nice people, right? So he's, he's on the TV. They're giving him the countdown, the five, four, three, you know, about to go live with Robin. Robin's waiting, and here's my friend whose name I cannot say because he didn't give me permission to tell the story. So five, four, and out of nowhere, he hears this 28-year-old recent college graduate, probably from Berkeley, say, isn't that guy on Fox News all the time? What's he doing here? Three. Two, and you're <laughs> like this is the, the in between Robin Roberts and you are young men and women who have just gotten out of some probably some safe spaces. <laughs> By the way, what did he say in those days? They would be crying out for peace and safety. Let I me mean, just I don't know that just I just noticed that they between before anybody's opinion gets to you, it has been put through this filter. Uh, another friend who works with a, a prominent political figure here in our state uh, was sharing the story of him putting this guy up for, he's got this, uh, this big political speech coming up and he's got this uh, initiative that he's going to launch. And so my friend called his friend who was a producer for the Today Show and asked uh, his friend, could we get my guy on the news? I think this is a big deal. I think this is a big thing. And I think that this story would be huge. And this uh, probably 30-year-old uh, recent college graduate friend of his said, um, well, I mean, does, the guy, does he have a daughter? Does he? Uh, and he said, well, he does have a daughter. And so he said, uh, she said, she said uh, well, is she dating a celebrity or a Hollywood star? Uh, and the answer is no. She said, well, that's not getting on the air then. But we can't, there's no story there. We don't do that story. And she was being really honest with him. But the point being that this, and this just happened like two weeks ago. Right, this, we, we can't tell your story because there's nothing salacious about it. So when you think, I wonder if, these guys, if there's something a little amiss, the answer is behind the scenes, there's some stuff that's really amiss. It's a world that is not something that we should be scared of. It's a world that, frankly, Paul was writing about 2,000 years ago. It's a world that Jesus said would happen. And so for us, how do we live in that world together? In a world where hurricanes are smacking our cities, in a world where earthquakes are shaken, the seas are raging, and the nations are raging and imagining a vain thing, how do we live in that world? And I think that that's, I almost didn't read the first few verses, because you know, when you start reading the Jesus comes back verses, it immediately starts evoking lots of weird feelings. Some of us, it's like, oh, I'm just terrified. Uh, I don't even want to talk about that. I can't, oh, it freaks me out. Others of you, you get really excited because you think finally he's going to tell us whether he's pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. <laughs> finally, I get to see whether he's my guy or not. 
Because you know how it is, you got your, you got your post-tribulation, after the tribulation, that's when Jesus returns, because you guys are tough. You can take it, right? And then you got the pre-trib, he's coming back before the great tribulation, because I'm a wuss, I can't take that. Like, I, don't, I can't take any of this. And then you got the mid-trib, which is I can only take so much. Somewhere in those, we fall, and you begin to think that's what our conversation is going to be about. But I'm going to treat us like adults this morning. Adults can say, you know what, there are very, very smart people who fall in any one of those categories, and they're all reading the same Bible that I'm reading. And if you are the general of an army, and you are going to come and open up a can of whoop God, if you will, Are you going to tell your enemy when that's going to be? No, you're telling them, I'm coming, and I'm bringing fury with me, but you're not going to give him the day. Of course you don't know the day, because the enemy doesn't know the day. Because if he knows the day, it throws the whole thing off. Can you imagine Churchill giving, we're going to fight on the beaches, we're going to fight on the skis, and we're going to do it on December 26th, <laughs> just so you know. So you could be prepared. So, so we can all actually just take a step back and a collective breath and say, Okay. Now, on the other hand, we don't know the day or the hour, but he does say we can know the seasons. And he does say that for us who are children of the light, that we would know the seasons that we're in because we're not children of the dark, that it would not come like a thief in the night for us. And so I can look at the seasons. Did anybody wake up this morning and it's a little chilly out? Maybe you put on a sweater. Why is that? Because fall is coming. Because we know the seasons are changing. So we can look at that and say, okay, the seasons are changing. This seems to be a season change, and it seems to be not just in the earth, it seems to be in people, it seems to be in, in literally just the, the dialogue of, of the, the, the media itself, which would declare our nation so divided that, which I, by the way, patently reject. I patently reject it, because what's happening is that 30-year-old recent college graduates from Berkeley are telling their guys what can go on the TV and what cannot, and they're saying that we're divided and I don't even know what they're talking about because I've seen what's happening in Houston and in Beaumont, and you're about to see it again in South Florida. Black and white and brown and boats and chainsaws coming in side by side, the, the kingdom of God, right? So uh, when you hear that, just know that is a lie from the pit of hell. But be that as it may, in the society where the voices that shout the loudest are shouting louder against you, how do we then live? How, how do we live in a world that might be stepping closer and closer towards the return of Christ? Because he says what's going to happen, wars and rumors of wars. and things. What do we do in that? And I look in this and I see this. He opens this up with, hey, th you know this, this is going to happen. And so what you need to do is not freak out, but encourage each other with these words and then build each other up. And as brothers and sisters, we spent the last couple weeks talking about building ourselves up. Next week, I'm actually going to talk a little bit about, hey, there are some specific disciplines and things that, that we just do that are part of that. You know that I didn't get into this fabulous shape that I'm in right, without some work and effort, right? I could mentor you on how many donuts it takes. I could teach you. Right, Because there was an effort involved, but in the same way there's an effort involved, for those of you that are in shape and trim, there's an effort that you got up and did. There was a discipline with that of building yourself up. That's what we're going to talk about next week. But for this week, especially in this season that we're in, what does it look like to build 
ourselves build each other up. In this passage, he talks about the return of Christ, and he says, build each other up, and then he literally just machine guns. Pray without ceasing. Be joyful. Be thankful. Boom, 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 boom. And I think he's listing out here things that are happening in a Jesus community that is in a world that is increasingly hostile against them. And, and when, instead of me machine gunning all of these, I think that they kind of fit into four neat little categories that all start with A, and I was so proud of that, so if you wouldn't mind humoring me. Uh, I, I see that the four that I see are that uh, he talks about a community that you individually need to be awake, you need to be allied with each other, you need to be available, and you need to be assured. Those four things, that's what we're gonna talk about the awake part, he says right up at the beginning, uh, verse six. So then, let's not by, be like the others who are asleep, but let's be awake and sober. He's speaking in metaphor here, so there's obviously a biblical command against being drunk, but he's speaking in metaphor because when, you are, when you're drinking, remember the old Eagle song, you must not be drinking enough, one of the great... Eagle Psalms of all time. You still want to hold her. You must not be drinking enough. The, the idea being that when you, you, you know the song? It's a great song. Sing it, sister. <laughs> He's talking about the truth, which is that you to get drunk are medicating pain. Okay? You're, I don't want to feel this anymore, so I am going to get drunk. In, in the words of the great poet, Alan Jackson, it's five o'clock somewhere because your job is so terrible that I just, I, I'll start drinking at 10 in the morning because it's five o'clock somewhere because I hate my job that much because I don't want to feel that anymore. And I think that when he talks here about being awake and being sober, that being in a Jesus community means that when we try to medicate our own pain and some of it is with alcohol. Some of it is, you know, there's this conversation, should marijuana be legalized or should it not? The question I just have to ask is, if you're doing it not for a medicinal purpose, but just so you don't feel that way anymore, what are, you, are you trying to medicate something that Jesus wants to heal in your soul and in your heart? But not all of us go to that to medicate. And, um, some of us go to our work. Some of us go to keep it busy. Some of us... Some of us go to, go to food. Some of us go to, check this out, to despair. Charlie Chaplin said that despair numbs us into indifference. And here's why I think that this is important, by the way. Jesus said this, in the, he said in Matthew 24, 12, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that in those days, talking about these end times, that the love of many would grow cold because of lawlessness, because of an increase in wickedness. What he meant is what we're experiencing right now, which is there's so much darkness that we begin to, what? Check out altogether. Eli Weissel, Holocaust survivor, author, incredibly profound, said that the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. And so the love of many growing cold, the danger is, is that I've medicated myself, I don't feel it anymore, and now I look and I'm literally impervious, I'm indifferent to the pain of those around me. The love of many would grow cold. 
And I get it, it's hard. I get that some of you have gotten off of Facebook, and I actually think it's not a bad idea because it's just so much and it's too much. Too much anger, too much division, too much pain. But what we can't do is go to the other extreme and say, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to not pay attention to any of it, and I'm going to isolate myself and medicate myself and allow my love to grow cold and not be a part of potentially changing the situation in my neighbors and in my friends and my family. The love of many would grow cold because of the increase in wickedness. And he says that for us, if we're going to be in the Jesus people, that we've got to be awake and be sober. And he says that for us, it's not that we won't feel pain. It's not that we won't feel anger. But that we protect, he, I love it, he uses our head and our hearts. He says to put the breast, uh, on your breastplate love and faith and on your head salvation. So when your mind is racing, instead of turning to a drug to medicate it, to put on the, the helmet of salvation is simply the reminder that no, Jesus is in control. That what, what did he say, whether I'm awake or I'm asleep, whether I'm dead or alive, I'm gonna be living with Christ. The helmet of salvation is the medication. The breastplate of love and of faith is what protects my heart. Because when you're in a church, especially when we're this close circles with each other, and there's someone else in pain and in suffering, it's hard to not take that on yourself and to ruin your own day. So the temptation, I'm just going to do, I'm not going to be engaged at all, is a form of medication, of isolation. And on the other hand, protecting it with faith is allows me to go into a situation and let someone talk and, 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 and love with them and not have to carry that pain home with me by protecting myself with the breastplate of love and with uh, of faith and the, uh, the helmet of salvation. To not allow my love to grow cold. And to put on, verse eight, the breastplate uh, love and faith as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. It's literally to be awake, to be sober. That's what we need from each other, to be aware. And then he says in verse 13 at the end, to live in peace with each other. So not only that we, we gotta be you know, awake and sober, but we need to be there for each other, to be I use the word allied because it starts with an A, but also because, because it's a more profound word than just being bros, because that's the biblical word for, for fellowship. The, the, the word that we know as fellowship is much more profound than even most of our small groups are. I've shared this before, it's worth repeating. When Paul was talking about the saints in Jerusalem, who were suffering from uh, starvation and famine and torture. He talks about taking up this offering, and you can read it in Acts, and then he talks about it in Romans 15, he talks about it again in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Think of it like what we're doing, we just did, we're sending this stuff to Beaumont, and we're gonna send stuff to Houston, and we sent stuff to, to Florida. You know. He's talking about that kind of a situation, and he says to them that, hey, I'm, I'm coming through, uh, we're gonna take your, your collection, he calls it a collection, he calls it an offering, he calls it again that in Romans 15, we're taking your collection, your offering, but the Greek word he uses for that is not money, it's koinonia, it's the word that we know as fellowship. When we do those things for each other, we are fellowshipping with each other. It's so much deeper than just hanging out together. It is a literal ally with each other. So it's like unified around a purpose with each other. I'm sending them my koinonia, in Acts 2.42, they were devoted to fellowship, prayer, 
teaching, breaking of bread. But that word fellowship was koinonia. They were devoted to that. And in a world that is increasingly marginalizing us as believers, we need to be there for each other as allies. We need to have each other's back. I texted uh, David last week. He had just gotten back from uh, getting a missionary's car delivered. It was flooding everywhere. And I was like, oh, man, thank you. He got this uh, trailer thing figured out. And he just said simply, man, I got your back. And you know what? I know that. that he does. Like, he's not lying when he says that. Us having each other's back. Allies. It doesn't even mean that we're going to be, because I think we see this live at peace with one another thing, and we think that it's literally kumbaya, holding hands, and the minute that we get angry about something, we go down the street to a different one. This is so much different than that. This is about us being allies together, and allies, I, I, did anybody see uh, the Dunkirk, the movie? Okay. For the rest of you, you missed it. That was awesome. The story of the Allied forces being pinned down on, the, on the, uh, the beaches of Dunkirk before the U.S. had ever gotten involved. And these Allied forces, the British and the French, and they were pinned down, but allied together, different country, even some different opinions probably about things politically, but together they were allied. The country began to send boats to rescue. Literally, if you had a bass boat, a fishing boat, a raft, whatever, they were sending them to evacuate and save the lives of what would turn out to be 330,000 people. And it's such a beautiful picture of what the church is when we are at our best. Because we are awake and we're aware and we are allied together to have each other's back. I got a, a text message from Benny Prophet uh, saying that he was so pleased because Brandon and Jennifer and uh, Christian brought over a, a meal. Benny almost died last week, like literally like you bring out the crash cart kind of thing. It was so close. And they brought out, they brought a, a, a dinner for Benny and Marilou, but Christian wrote a little card for him. And it just touched him so much. That was so, that he, it touched him so much that he mentioned it to me, and I thought, that's because he's got an ally, that Christian is his ally, that we got each other's back. And in a world where we're building each other up, it means that we're not always gonna agree. Because look what he says, admonish you. He talks about warning those. You know, we have this idea in tolerance world that, in fact, what the, what the media would say tolerance means, New York Times, I just read it a couple of weeks ago, that there is no such thing as absolute truth, that my truth might not be your truth, and so to enforce my truth on you is, uh, it should, I shouldn't do that. that. That's the basic. I wish I'd have printed it so I could read it. There is no such thing as truth, and nobody should try to force their truth on anybody else because there is no such thing as truth. It's your truth, and it's my truth. The irony being that when he said that, what he is, what he is declaring is in fact a truth <laughs> that he now wants to force on me. Now, to that end, that means that that can't be what tolerance means. That tolerance really means a biblical look is that I might not view this the same way that you do and how I treat you when I don't disagree, that's tolerance, not making you agree with me. And living at peace with each other does not mean that there won't be skirmishes side by side with each other. Living at peace with each other actually means the opposite of that, that we're going to engage in these conversations. Because if we don't ever disagree with each other, let me tell you why that is. Because we're not real friends, because I haven't had the courage yet to disagree with you. That 
by me taking a step and risking a disagreement, that's stepping into what a real ally is and that we still love each other anyway. Do you think that those soldiers on the front lines agree with each other politically all around the board? No way. But when they are side by side, unified around a purpose, they are allies together, that is what it means to live at peace with one another. And I understand that there's some weird stuff going on on the internet and in our country and on Facebook, but he, what did Paul say? Don't be asleep like they are. You be awake. You be sober. You be aware. And you live at peace with one another. That's the story of Jesus. It's not just being allies together. Boy, I've skipped way ahead. You're welcome. <laughs> but being available, accessible to each other. He, he closes with this kind of crazy thing where he says, greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I love all you guys. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? But I ain't there yet. But, <laughs> but that's because I didn't grow up in the culture that Paul was growing up in. The culture right now in the Middle East, if you've been there, is you walk up to a, a male counterpart. Now, I don't, with Don being so much taller than me, I don't know how that would work. But I, <laughs> I to get up on a chair. To, but, um, but you turn your head and lean in, which is about as vulnerable as you could be as a dude. Because you don't know, I mean, I turn my head, you could take a swing at me and I won't see it coming. When I turn my head for the holy kiss, I am trusting that you, I'm being vulnerable, I'm offering myself to you to be available to you. And I want to, you know, it's so funny, sometimes you say stuff, I want to be careful, what, you don't hear what I'm not saying. Because some of, in this room, maybe right now, Okay? You might be involved in a, a physically abusive relationship. Okay? Do not hear me say that when he actually says do good for those that do, good for those that do evil, you know, be do, doing good for them, that sometimes that it genuinely gets confusing and what I feel like that means then is I just have to take it. What did Jesus say? Do good for those who harm you, pray for those who despitefully use you. Let me ask you this. If someone is, ab if, is abusing me, and I let them continue to abuse me, continue to let them do that pattern of abuse to me and to others, is it good for them that I let them do that? No. So doing good for them doesn't mean taking it. But doesn't he say turn the other cheek? Again, in the culture of making myself vulnerable, I am not, it doesn't, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean let him take another swing at me. When Jesus says, turn the other cheek, he's talking about the, that specific thing of a greeting where you are being a, available and a, a vulnerable position, but not to take it and let him swing at you. Because for us, stopping that abuse, it might mean for you to put a boundary in place. It might mean for you to say, I'm not going to do that, because that is actually doing good for them. And the vulnerable, when he says, pray for those who despitefully use you, I truly think means that you're just praying for them that they would find the Jesus that you have found, that the same sins that he's forgiven in you that he's forgiven in them, pray do the inner work so that you can genuinely not feel any ill will towards them 
but it doesn't mean stand there and take it. And I would encourage you, if you've got a book uh, that you haven't read that I would encourage immensely, is a guy named Henry Cloud wrote a book called Boundaries. Incredible read. If you've got any relationships, personally, whatever, and you're confused with what does it mean to, where's the line between enabling someone's bad behavior and being available, and he, he spells it out very, very clearly. But I believe for the preponderance of us that in a church world, that us being available and vulnerable with each other you know, what, what Chris Roman talked a little bit about last week, about just communicating even where my feelings are on something. Do you understand that those feelings that he gave you, you know what happened? You know how Haiti was born for us for as a church way back when? I just got really mad about what I was seeing on TV, what was happening to these people in Haiti. It just made me mad that it wasn't fair. And there was a righteous anger that formed from that anger can be a gift for you. There's an unhealthy side of it, absolutely. But allowing that anger to rise up and to to express that became a righteous anger for me to do something about it. If someone has passed away, there's this, in a church world, we get this thing where I can't really, I'm not really sad because I know he's in a better place. But the Bible never told us we don't grieve. It just says we grieve differently. That when someone steps into eternity, my sadness honors them. My sadness honors the relationship that I had with them. Now, is there an unhealthy? Absolutely. But being vulnerable, being available to each other, where we are and how I feel about this thing, that is counterintuitive, but it is the way that in a world that needs us right now to be the the example, to build each other up, that that's just part of it, that we are available with each other. I mean, Rob and I have had some awesome conversations and, and there are moments where we've been at it like, oh, I don't know, but you, know, but you know what we never did was we never ran away from each other. It was good practice for me managing bands, by the way. Because let me tell you what, they got to play a show that night somehow. Now, sometimes you, you've, you would never see it, but on side stage, you'd see them, I'm going to kick your butt when I get off here. Yeah. So you could live angry at each other. You could go to the back lounge of the bus and just work it out because we, we are surrounding a, a common purpose here and you figure it out, and you know what I think the best relationships are? Are the relationships that weather the test of time like that. I mean, I know Rob and Amanda in a way that I didn't know them five years ago because we dug deep with each other. I, I had a, uh, a colleague, there was a band uh, that I represented and they really didn't like my colleague. Didn't like him to the point where they wrote a song on the album I remember I'm sitting in the studio. They wouldn't even speak to each other. Okay, lead singer and my colleague would not even speak to each other for like a year. And we're making this new record, we're in the studio, and I, I, these, I, this was the only song I hadn't seen the lyrics to. <laughs> the song is called Liar. Okay, and I'm like, uh, uh, hey, hey, dude, uh, we talk about this? Like, you're talking about my friend. I thought that relationship was completely broken beyond repair. But you know, I'm happy to report the time that when I sold my company to my colleague, that there was one band that stuck with him. He's stepped onto a different career path now, but one band that stuck with him up until he finally stepped away from the music business altogether, and it was that band. 
Because we finally got around the table and it took time and it took work and it took pain and it took, but you know what it took? It took risk, it took courage, it took time, it took vulnerability and that's what a Jesus community needs is that. And here's the thing, none of that works. The availability, the allies, the vulnerability, all, none of that works unless you have the assurance of Jesus himself. He says that rest assured, he will do it. There's all kinds of tricks and shortcuts. Psychologists can take us back to our youth and, and there's, there's value in that. They can say it's this, you know, the entertainment says, well, we'll just medicate it away. But they all belie the fact that it starts with the problem of sin in our hearts and our separation from God himself. And the assurance that we all need the helmet of salvation, if you will, the breastplate, it's the only thing that protects us in these relationships, that allows us the courage to do that. The book of Acts in chapter two and verse one, it says that they were all together in one accord, not a Honda, but in an actual <laughs> gathering of people together. They were all gathered around a single purpose. Every nation, it seemed, there were multiple countries represented. It was multiple socioeconomic, all together bringing about this equality that the law cannot provide. I was reading, there's a book by, uh, called Tribe by a guy named Sebastian Younger. It's a fascinating book. But he talks about how at the core of who we are that we desire and long to be together as humans. He's a sociologist. He's not even a Christian. He, but he can see the wiring. He, said, he calls it evolution. I'm like, oh, no, no, that's just what God, that's how he wired us to be. But here's what he, he talks about an earthquake that happened he said, here's what, here's what his exact words. The earthquake provided what the law promises and couldn't, which is unity and equality. That when the, the, the earth shook and everybody lost everything, we all stood on an equal ground together. That's what we saw in Texas. That's what we saw in Florida. And it's a glimpse of what eternity will be like, but this side of heaven we can never have perfectly but in a church world established with the assurance that he will do it then, that we get to have a glimpse of it now. And all of our stops and our starts, the assurance of who Jesus is, that he came to not just, he came to seek and save it, but he came to, it says, to start a new people, a new community, a Jesus community. Do you ever wonder why when Jesus came back down from the mountain, when he had his 12 disciples with him, why would he have chosen 12 anyway? There was only like 30 people following him. It's like electing, you have 30 people in your church and now I've elected 12 to be the leaders. Like. But the last time that that happened where a, group, a guy came down from the mountain and gave the word of God, there were 12 tribes around him. And Moses came down to the 12 and he gave them the word of God. Now he gave them 10 commandments, right? The 10 commandments to save them? No, they were already saved. They were already out of Egypt. I think the Ten Commandments weren't about that. It was about, hey, here's the group of people now and here's how you can live together and be good to each other and love each other. Don't have any. Just start with this one. No other gods before me, period. That's gonna go poorly. Hey, and your neighbor, don't have sex with his wife. That's inappropriate. <laughs> don't kill him. Don't take his stuff. Stuff that we sort of take as normal is, by the way, not normal human behavior. And when you wonder where our, even our laws and Western ideas come from, it's built on Judeo-Christian values that came from that. 
it was not to save them, but hey, I'm giving, there's a whole new people, and here's how you're going to be different than all the other nations around you. And I believe that what Jesus is saying to you and I today is that I've given you this whole new to love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. Live differently than the world around you. You live awake. The world is asleep. Don't get mad at them. They don't know they're asleep. We are awake. And because of that, then we can pray without ceasing. We can be joyful. We can be thankful. Because God's ways, he, he writes these things not because he's a buzzkill. You know that Haiti, they say, was the first nation born of former slaves. And we look at Haiti right now and think how, if you've been there, it's almost hopeless. I don't know how I can possibly do anything to fix this. How did it even get here? How is it possible that it's this bad? But the truth is, is Haiti wasn't the first nation born of former slaves. Israel was. And so when Haiti became a nation and overthrew their oppressors, they didn't know how to be free. And the first thing they did as a people was put other gods before him. The first thing they did was to bring in voodoo and marry witchcraft and, and, and Catholicism into this. I mean, they even make Easter creepy. How do you do that, right? But they do it. And I think that when you look at the, even the farming practices, the stuff, it's that they just didn't know how to be free. What Jesus is saying to us is, here's how to be free. Here's how to live a joyful life. I, I saw Tom and Lori, we were at Soul Shine Pizza the other night. And I, how long have you guys been married? 37 years. That's impressive in this day, right? And they're just sitting there, look, I hope you don't mind me sharing this. They look like a young couple in love. And I was like, I, I had friends with me, but I kept looking over and thought, man, that's a Jesus marriage. And I'm sure there, there are hard times and good times and struggles and all, but you, you stand the test of time. I think sometimes we give up on our marriages. We never get to that because we quit too soon. Because this Jesus way, it, it, it's a slow, it's a slow day after day type of obedience with each other. I can't promise you that Jesus is returning next week. I can't promise you that he's not. I heard a guy say in a joke once, he said, do you think that Jesus is gonna come back in the next hour? If you do, raise your hand. Oh, and nobody of course would. He says, well, there might be then, because he said it would be in an hour that you know, you think not, <laughs> that you would. Um. But we just don't know. All we know is that almost 400 prophecies in the Old Testament said that he was coming the first time. Do we think he's gonna not do it the second? And so instead of us living in fear and scared and digging holes out back and burying weapons, maybe we should be available for each other and be allies with each other, be vulnerable, and be that kind of a community, oh man. Don't, doesn't that sound great? You gotta know there's work involved with this. He actually talks about striving to do these things. The culture doesn't want you to do that. We live in the, this is the first time in human history, okay, where a culture is built upon people living alone in houses that are separate from each other. That's never happened in history until modern times. Adam and Eve in the garden were together and as soon as they started procreating, those, they would live in tribes, they would live in clans, they would live together. That's what you see in most developing nations. You walk around the streets of Jacques Mel Haiti and everybody's cousins with everybody. 
but they've had that long, slow build of relationship together. Stand to your feet. I want to let you go, but I, I hope that I could at least evoke an idea in you that this is actually not only possible, this is what Jesus wants us to do, and that for us to be the light to the world, that us living as a community like this, being awake and sober and aware and available, allied with each other, and assured that Jesus is in the middle of it and he will do it, he gives us the power to do it. And I hope and pray that that's what we can experience we're seven years in on this thing and I know that God calls people to different churches. I get all of that. I'm not saying that, but I would say that well, imagine what another seven years, how much closer we could be you know, if we don't quit on each other too soon. Jesus, you died and came for us and died to start a new community, a new people, a holy people. And it is different. And it is, our culture doesn't like it, our culture precludes it. Lord, would you give us not only the courage, but the wisdom on how to do that, how to reach towards each other. I mean, just like Paul, Lord, I use, <laughs> they're already doing it, and I feel our church is so much doing it, and so as we're already doing it, then we will continue to do it more. And again, for our friends and family that are in Florida, we are mindful of you. We are thinking about you. And we are praying of how we can send our fellowship to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.